So this morning's passage is Acts 28, verses 16 through 31, the final verses of the book of Acts. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving of death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave. After Paul had made this final statement, the Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of God. So this is uh, not only the word of God, but as I said, this is the final passage of Acts. Uh, we did it. Everybody, we accomplished it. We walked through the entire book of Acts over the course of, of one year. Uh, this past week marked our one-year anniversary of worshiping together on Sunday mornings. And today, uh, we marked that anniversary. We marked the start of the second year uh, with our final message in this incredible historic uh, book. And I want to say before, though, I do want to say with the utmost sincerity uh, and admiration that thank you, Ronalda. Uh, for sharing your heart with us last week as you preached through the opening 15 verses of this final chapter, your, uh, your care and your faithfulness to the passage, as well as your care and your faithfulness to the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. pierced my heart, and I know it touched all those who listen. And so thank you, as always, Ronaldo. Uh, I'm so grateful to call you a friend and a co-laborer and a sister in this journey together. And this journey, uh, what a journey it's been. 28 chapters in the book of Acts, lots of years over those 28 chapters. Uh, from the resurrected Jesus, right, the book starts with Jesus, to the ascended Jesus, to the gift of the Holy Spirit, to the heart-piercing preaching of Peter, to the life transformation of Paul. We have encountered so, so much in this year of Acts. And for those of you who haven't read through this book before, you might have been expecting a more uh, 
triumphant ending to the story. After all, we've just experienced a, a shipwreck, if you remember, from a couple of weeks ago. A shipwreck and prisoners swimming to an island. Uh, an islander is caring for them, and Paul is in chains this whole time. He's trying to get to Rome to appeal to the emperor uh, himself. And here we are in the final verses. And, and I, at least for me, we want that satisfaction of a powerful ending. We want Paul's chains to be broken. We want Caesar's heart to be pierced and his life changed. We want it all in just these few verses. And yet, much like the entirety of the book of Acts, we don't necessarily see the revolution that we want or that we would expect. And yet, I would say that still doesn't mean revolution isn't here. Remember, I said it a year ago, and I've said it plenty of times since, uh, that this book, Acts, is a book of revolution. We see societies changed. We see systems challenged. We see injustices broken down. We see divisions erased completely. And yet, we see other injustices rise up. We see other divisions created. Revolution doesn't come easy, and it doesn't come quickly. And yet, revolution never ceases in the face of injustice or in the face of hatred or oppression. And so just as we've seen communities explode in sizes and numbers, thanks to the revolutionary work of the Holy Spirit, we also have to remember throughout Acts, we've, we've seen communities struggle and not grow. And yet even in those instances, or I would say especially in those instances of us seeing things we don't expect or things we don't want, we still see the revolutionary work of the Holy Spirit alive and thriving. And I say that because the revolutionary work of the Spirit does not cease at the closing of Acts chapter 28. The work of the Holy Spirit continues on and on and on and on into our lives today, into our lives tomorrow, until the day that Jesus of Nazareth returns to our world. Just as we were told in the opening chapter of Acts, chapter 1, this Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. That's how we started this whole sermon series with the expectancy that Jesus will come back. From the very beginning of this book, we were promised that he would return one day. And so until that day, we are also promised that the work of the Holy Spirit will not cease. And we keep that in mind. We acknowledge that. We cling to that truth as we see Paul's journey come to a close here in the book of Acts this morning. Because truly what we see here is a revolutionary work that is, if we're honest, if I'm honest, a little hard to, to comprehend. Now, of course, there is a lot here. And honestly, we could spend weeks parsing just these verses alone. I mean, a year in the book of Acts, we could commit the rest of the life of the church to the book of Acts and not even uncover everything. But what I want us to focus on this morning is where Paul is and what he does, where, where Paul is and what Paul does. We're told Paul is, is living by himself in Rome. And of course, we could just kind of gloss over that verse, verse 16, and just think, hey, Paul's not in prison. He's not on that ship anymore. But we really can't assume that because in that same verse, we can't neglect that though he is living alone, he really isn't alone. He is still a prisoner. He is still incarcerated. As we're told, he is still being guarded by a soldier of the empire. And yet incarcerated, imprisoned, under house arrest, whatever you want to call it, Paul does not sit idly by. We're told he calls leaders into his, his world into this, this world of being in prison, of being under house arrest, to speak to them, to defend himself, but more importantly, to preach to them, 
to draw them into the work of the Holy Spirit, to remind them of the words of the prophet Isaiah from morning until night. And he does all of this to show them, to continue showing them that this powerful spirit, this love of God, this work of Christ himself is not for one community. It's not for one group. It's not for one nation. But God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles as well. We see that in verse 28. Even when Paul is in chains, even when he has a soldier guarding him, Paul witnesses to the work of Jesus of Nazareth. Paul witnesses to the work of the kingdom of God. Willie James Jennings, he puts it like this. Uh, This is a lengthy quote, but this is how Jennings reads this passage. And in fact, this is how he closes his commentary on the book of Acts. Jennings says this, he says, Paul waits for his day in the court of the emperor. But while he waits, he serves. His prison will not keep him from being a disciple of Jesus and creating the site for the joining of peoples. Luke ends on a note of great hope, not only for Paul, but also for the work of the gospel. He ends in possibility. Our possibility of Christian life that picks up at the site of Paul in a house located in the heart of empire and marked by the incarcerated and a place that will not yield to fear or the lust for empire. This new space welcomes all to a faith that desires and a faith that joins. It is a temporary space for Paul and temporary for us as well as we wait for a more permanent site that is being prepared. When I read through those verses, these verses, and I read that from Jennings, it made me, um, and I want to put her on the spot, but it made me immediately think about Justine um, and your testimony you shared last week as part of Ronaldo's beautiful message. Uh, You were so honest and trusting of this community, and you said something that uh, truly I think we should imprint on our hearts and in our minds because it is saturated in such a real, honest, faithful truth. You said knowing that God's plan is better doesn't mean it's not hard. Knowing that God's plan is better doesn't mean it's not hard. When I think about that, I think about Paul and his life as we've seen it in Acts. Paul's life is not going the way he planned at all. In fact, he was doing pretty good for himself when he was imprisoning Christ followers, when he was approving of the murder of Christ followers. He was doing pretty good. And then his life changed and he became a Christ follower himself. And yet even that new plan didn't go any way he likely expected because he experienced following Christ as a prisoner, as an outcast, as running from place to place. And so though we lift Paul up as an incredible man of God, and he certainly was and is, we must lift him up while simultaneously lifting up the truth that Justine gave to us last week, that even though we can know God's plan is better than anything we could conceive of, it doesn't mean it won't be hard. And in fact, as we've seen in these 28 chapters, oftentimes when we admit and confront the reality that God's plan is better, it often means life will be harder. Because now we aren't simply witnesses for ourselves, right? We aren't simply looking out for ourselves, but we are witnessing to a global community. We are looking out for a global community. We are part of a global community. We're speaking up for the revolution, for the empire-destroying power of the Holy Spirit. 
knowing that God's plan is better does not mean it's not hard. Paul is sitting in a house by himself, guarded by a soldier. God's plan is better, but it's not easy. And still, and still, as Jennings says, while Paul waits for his day in court with Caesar, while he waits, he serves. His prison will not keep him from being a disciple of Jesus. God's plan is better, but it's often hard, but that shouldn't keep us from serving, from being a disciple of Jesus. And in this instance, in this passage, what that actually tangibly looks like is, I'd say one word, hospitality, maybe even a different word, love. You see that you find that in verse 30 near the end of this passage. For two years, Paul stayed in this house by himself, guarded by a soldier, and he welcomed all who came to see him. The Greek word used there that, that we translate into all is simple. It means, it means all. It means everyone. It, actually, I think if you really kind of specifically define it, it means the whole. Those three letter, little, little letters, A-L-L, it's exactly what you think it means. Every single person. There was no one who was unwelcomed in this house that Paul was in. In what the state called a prison, Paul called a community a church even, a place that he lived, that he welcomed anyone and everyone into, where he proclaimed the kingdom of God from uh, morning to evening and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Verse 31, the final words of Acts. Just as Jennings says, it's a temporary space for Paul as he waits, as we wait for a more permanent site that is being prepared. Paul remains bold and courageous and fearless, not because he's in an easy situation, not because God's plan for him is a piece of cake, but because Paul, Paul remains utterly focused on that promise that God's people received in Acts 1, that Jesus of Nazareth will return one day. Paul remains focused on that promise, and that focus empowers him and equips him, frees him to be loving and welcoming and hospitable to all. And as many different types of people from many different walks of life enter into his world, and as he is in a vulnerable state of still being guarded by a soldier, he continues to be a witness to the kingdom of God with all boldness and without hindrance. You want to talk about revolution. What would it look like for you to be a witness to the kingdom of God with all boldness, without hindrance? What would it look like for you or for, for us as a church to welcome all into our homes with no caveats, no expectations, no judgment. What would it look like? I would say in some way it would look like a revolution. A revolution of love, a revolution of the spirit, a revolution of the kingdom of God transforming our world and our lives. When you think about it like this, when you think about these final verses and all that we have seen in Acts, where Paul is and what Paul does, it's actually an incredible way to end. Paul, incarcerated, welcoming all into his life and continuing to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ without fear. What an example for us. What an example for what can be when our trust is placed in the work and in the friendship of the Holy Spirit and when our trust is placed in the coming of Jesus Christ again placed in the promise that there is a more permanent home being prepared for you and for me 
at this very moment. That is the first year of our church's life. That is what we end with. And that is what we look forward to. And I want you to think about that as we come to the Lord's table this morning, a table that draws us into the history of Jesus, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, but also a table that brings us into the very present reality of Jesus's ascension and his continued lordship over this world, and a table that points us to tomorrow, to the future, to the promise that Christ will come again. This table is a table of possibility, as Jennings says, a possibility of Christian life, of our lives today that picks up at the sight of Paul in this house. That's where we pick up as Hope House Kitchen. So as we come to this table, as we think about this possibility, as we think about all of this, not just today, but all that has preceded this moment right now for the last days, weeks, year, I invite you to enter into a moment of silence, to to meditate on whatever is on your heart at this time, whatever might be floating around uh, on your mind right now. Dwell on that, offer it to God, and then prepare yourself for the possibility of this table. So take this moment of silence. And then we'll come back for communion.